Welcome to the Flint Citadels podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. Uh, some of you might remember the last time I preached here, I got a little long. <laughs> I told a story about the cow man and how they uh, had come in from the, uh, the forest. Okay, so here we go. No mooing from the peanut gallery. <laughs> now, I heard that last time I was up here. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, we had no mooing from the peanut gallery, no matter how long the preacher gets. <laughs> I, I guess I've looked at this. Uh, yeah, I'm a great Western fan. I love Western movies. I love Western books. I like the old ones, though. I don't like all the... There's not a lot of new Western movies out there, but I love the old-time ones, you know, where it talks about the hole-in-the-wall gang. It was a name given to the uh, gangs in the American West, which took its names from the hole-in-the-wall in, uh, in, uh, uh, in Johnson County, uh, Wyoming, where several outlaw gangs had their hideouts. The gangs were actually made up of several separate games, all operating out of the hole-in-the-wall pass, using it as their base of operation. The gangs formed a coalition, each planning and carrying out its own robberies for the hideout of all the advantages needed for a gang attempting to evade the authorities. It was easily defended and impossible for a lawman to find his way into the, uh, into the hole of the wall. It was like a small town. Each gang adhered to its own rules, had its own chain of command, had its own rules of the camp, and then they still tried to work together. Members included such infamous outlaws as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, the kid, uh, the uh, Curry brothers, Kid and Lonnie Curry. There was Laughing Sam Kerr and Black Nose Ketchin and George Flat Nose. And Curry, along with the several other lesser-known outlaw gangs, hid away in the out, hid away in the uh, in the Old West. No lawman ever was successful entering into the uh, outlaws' den because uh, for many, many years they tried to find it and it was always lost. The encampment operated for on a steady stream of gangs rotating in and out of it from about 1860 until the early 20th century. However, in 1910, the uh, hole in the wall finally disappeared and the gangs were gone. Now, when I read that, uh, that portion of scripture, I want to share with you this morning in a little bit Certainly not, not the Wild West, but I want to share with you a, a story of a, a parable that Jesus spoke uh, and told about his announcement of the prodigal son. And if you want to follow, it's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, starting with 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your enemies as yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus Jesus said, A man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged up his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to the an inn, and, and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will, re- I will reimburse you for my extra expenses you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Well, the expert on the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do thou likewise. The story begins with a kind of a theological uh, controversy. And ends in a description of first aid at a roadside. It starts with a question of eternal life and works itself out to a payment for room and board at a local motel. The dangerous road that took place, there is no doubt that this is a parable from real life, for it tells of the kind of thing that frequently happened on the road to Jerusalem and Jericho. The road was notoriously dangerous. For travelers, it was perfectly suited for bandits and robbers. Now, Jerusalem is located 23,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho is 1,300 feet below sea level. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho descended 3,600 feet and a little more than 20 miles. It was necessary for the road to wind through the mountains and have places where people could hide certainly those who are out to try and rob the, the uh, passerbyers. This was an excellent place for a bandit to waylay travelers. The many limestone caves through this area provided hideouts from the Roman patrols. The caves in the mountains to the west of the Dead Sea were hideouts for literally hundreds of the Bedouin bandits and revolutionists. Even in the time of Jesus, This road was called the Red or Bloody Way, or simply was called the Bloody Pass. The hearers of Jesus were familiar with these stories. They knew what would happen in that area. There is in existence a letter written in A.D. 171 in which two pig dealers make a complaint to the government. They had fallen into the hands of the bandits on this very, this bad road. Even as late as the 19th century, travelers had to pay safety money to locate uh, safety money to the local sheiks if they wished to be safe from the attacks of the uh, of the Bedouins. And even closer to our time, in 1930, a man named H. V. Morton, in his book, writes, "In the footsteps of the master, 
When I told a friend that I intended to run down to the Dead Sea for a day, he said, well, be careful to get back before dark. And why, I ask? You might meet Abdu Jalai. He is a bandit who has been shot, who has shot several policemen. There is a price on his head, and he is the, in the habit of building a wall of stones across the Jericho Road so he could rob the passerbyers. In fact, he said once upon a time, there were 14 cars in a row on this road, robbed, everyone threatened to, and even they threatened to cut off a woman's finger because her ring had grown up and she couldn't get it off. And so they said, be careful because on your way there or back, if it's dark, be sure that they'll be there. The police often heard about this, but they could never find them. So let's now look at the, the characters of the, of the parable. All we know about the principal traveler is that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now we're not told his race or his religion, but we assume him to be a Jew, probably a Jewish peddler, maybe just a traveler who had nothing worth stealing than just his clothes. Second, the scenes, second on the scene are the bandits or the thieves. They stripped the traveler of his money, his clothes and his goods, and they wound him and they leave him for dead. The question Jesus is now dealing with is, who is my neighbor? And certainly we can see no neighborly love in this act that was given to him by those robbers. And so that brings the first, the, uh, the first uh, philosophy that seems to be, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. The robber held the philosophy that they had a right to take whatever they could. They made their living by exploiting others. Do unto others before they do unto you. Such do not know the means of brotherly love. They love money more than they love men. And they're willing to kill a man in order to get his money. In 1 Timothy 6.10 it tells us, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, the principle represented by these men leads destruction and death in its path. It is this principle should gain the supreme control of the world, human life would no longer be safe. We would be safe to go anywhere in our life. It's sometimes referred to as the iron rule. Brute force is the means and the love of money is the motive. They're content to be takers and never sharing in the blessing of God with others. The iron rule of conduct is one that listens when money talks. In fact, someone said, that money talks, I will agree. It always says goodbye to me. <laughs> then comes along the priest who represents the second principle. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. In Palestine, there were so many priests by the New Testament times, they were divided into 24 uh, courses. Each course served in the temple for two separate weeks during the year. And since Jericho was one of the priestly cities, this priest may have been returning home from his service in the, in the temple. And having his two weeks in the temple service, you would think that he would be one of the people who would be concerned because he had just come from that kind of service. His very birth had called, had he called should have made him a neighbor to the robbed man. The robbed, uh, man. 
but he passed on the other side of the street. He may have thought it was a trick of the bandits. Sometimes they do these kinds of things, and so he was not going to take any chances. Certainly, we do not see any neighborly love in his actions, do we? Next, we see the Levite, who worked on the same principle as the priest. He was working in the house of God. We notice a subtle difference in the attitudes of the Levite and the priest. At least the Levite came and, and looked on him. Perhaps the priest was afraid it was a trick, but this man took it up on himself at least to go and look at the man who was wounded. Perhaps the Levite thought he would like to help the man, but saw no sense in getting involved. There had been, uh, in 19, uh, well, I'm not really sure of the date, but a teenager committed suicide live on the Internet while 1,500 people watched. Abraham Briggs, 19, took a drug overdose while broadcasting on the video stream. And according to the report, some viewers even encouraged him to kill himself, thinking it was just a threat. It's quite easy to see this situation that people are pretty passive about putting themselves out for the sake of someone else. Or we say that we want to help, but in practice we're like the priests and the Levites. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. John the Apostle tells us in, in 1 John, But whoever has the world's goods and behold his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And then we're told in James 2.16, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be fulfilled, and yet you do not give them what's necessary for their bodies. What is it to use? The philosopher is passing the feeling, no obligation to anyone else. Have you ever said, I'll pray for you? Because someone has a problem? And we say, I'll pray for you. What's that going to help? And we're going to put our prayer into action. What difference is it going to make? Well, Jesus tells about the Samaritan coming onto the scene. The Samaritans were hated and despised by the Jews. The listeners of Jesus would immediately assume that the villain had appeared on the scene now. Maybe they expected the Samaritan to finish killing this half-dead man. Well, what did the Samaritan do? The Samaritans are a group historically, live, historically living in a close proximity to the modern city of Nebulus on the West Bank. They claim descendants from the tribes of Joseph. And as such, they consider themselves a, a branch of the biblical Israelites, the same ancestral heritage that is claimed by the Jews. And throughout history, the Jews have at various times considered the Samaritans as part of them, and then on other times, they don't want anything to do with them. But here comes the Samaritan in Jesus' story, and he looked on the man and had compassion. He treated the man, poured oil and wine on his wounds, and binding him up. He sets the man on his own beast. The Samaritan is probably a businessman or a trader. He takes him to an inn, sees the man is well cared for, and leaves some money, so if there should be any more 
need care to be needed, that that money would take care of it. And if it didn't, he would come back and pay for the rest of it later. And then the question is now, as asked, now which was the neighbor, asked Jesus, and the answer was certainly obvious. It was the Good Samaritan. Jesus turns this proposition around. He says, go and do like the Samaritan. Be a good neighbor, and anyone who needs your help is your neighbor. And now there's a third philosophy that comes out of this. What's mine is yours, and I'll share it. Now this gives me a chance to sing this wonderful solo. <laughs> Remember Jingle Bells. It goes like this. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first and yourself last and others in between. Right? And that's the philosophy we have here in this, this portion of Scripture. The philosophy pledges itself, the, the philosopher pledges itself that it will help anyone who comes along. Men, though strangers, mean more than money. Followers of Jesus are willing to invest not only their means, but their time and their influence. Certainly we have gone through this Christmas season and have realized that, haven't we? Of all of those who have volunteered and spent time here, you know what the Salvation Army does. You know the things that were done for people that we don't even know. Christians become like God when they can move with compassion. They do not see in the New Testament a list of distinct precepts, each of which is applicable to only one case, and that is that they are to care and love and share with all people, regardless of who they are. You see, this principle might be worded, what I am and have belonged to God and I am willing to spend and be spent according to the pleasures of God, the needs of others. The appointment says, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. You see, this is a difference between Christianity and other religions. The story is told about a man who fell in a pit. And Buddha passed by and said, Poor fellow, you must have been very foolish to get into a mess like that. And he went on his way. Confucius passed by and saw the man and said, I am so sorry to see you down there. Why don't you think of a way to get out? Muhammad passed by and he said, I am sorry that I cannot get you out of that pit. But if you ever do get out, I may be able to give you some good advice and rules which you can live by and it won't do it again. And then Jesus of Nazareth passed by and he saw the poor man and he said nothing, but he got down into the pit and helped the man out. That's what true compassion is. In the scripture, when Jesus asked, who is your neighbor? This neighbor rendered a personal service. He could have continued on his way and told some Jews about the predicament he had been in. But uh, he sent them on their way and said, do thou likewise. I, uh, I wanted to read something for you that I, in fact, I uh, will be the end of a sermon today. But um, if you consider someone to be your neighbor, then you don't have any responsibility 
to that person. Is that right? If you don't consider them, consider someone to be your neighbor, then you don't have any responsibility for that person. Is that right? Of course not. We have responsibility. Let me read you. A, a, this is a, a story of a, her name was Mrs. Thompson. As she stood in front of her fifth grade class in the very first day of school, she told the children a lie. Like most teachers, she looked at her students and said that she loved them all the same. That was impossible because there in the front row, slumped in his seat, was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. Mrs. Thomas had watched Teddy the year before and noticed that he didn't play well with the other children, that his clothes were messy, and that he constantly needed a bath, and Teddy could be unpleasant. It got to the point where Mrs. Thompson would actually take great delight in marking his paper with broad red pens marking each question by an X, and then putting a big red F on the top of his papers. As a, but at that school, Mrs. Thompson taught she was required to review every child's past records, and so she put Teddy's off until last, and finally she pulled out his records, and she had a great surprise. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote, Teddy's a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He's a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be tough. His third grade teacher wrote, his mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest in his home life will soon affect him and it seems steps aren't taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn and doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends and he sometimes sleeps in class. <clears throat> By now, Mrs. Thompson realizes the problem and she was ashamed of herself. She felt even worse when her students brought her Christmas presents wrapped in beautiful ribbons and bright paper, except for Teddy's. His pre present was clumsily wrapped in a heavy brown paper that he had got from a grocery store. Mrs. Thompson took paints open in the middle of the other class presents. Some of the children started to laugh when she found a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle, of, and a bottle that was one quarter full of perfume. But she stifled the children's laughter, and when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on, and she dabbed some of the perfume on her wrist. Teddy Stoddard stayed after school that day, and just long enough to say to Mrs. Thompson, today, today you smell just like my mother used to after the children had left. <clears throat> On that very day, she quit teaching reading and writing arithmetic. Instead, she began to teach children. Mrs. Thompson said, paid particular attention to Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. And by the end of the year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in the class. And despite her Despite her lie, 
She would love all the children the same, but Teddy became perhaps the teacher's pet. A year later, she found a note under her door from Teddy telling her that she was still the best teacher he'd ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy. He then wrote that he had finished high school, third in his class, and he would, and he would uh, third in his class, and she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Four years after that, she got another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, he had stayed in school, stuck with it, and would soon graduate from college with the highest of degree. He assured Mrs. Thompson that she was still the best and his favorite teacher he'd ever had in his whole life. Then four years later passed and yet another letter came. This time, <clears throat> this time she explained, and this time he explained that after he got his bachelor's degree, he decided to go a little farther. And the letter explained that she was still his best and favorite teacher he ever had. But now his name was a little longer. The letters was signed Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. The story doesn't end there. You see, there was yet another letter that spring. Teddy said that he had met this girl and was going to marry. He explained that his father had died a couple years ago, and he was wondering if Mrs. Thompson might agree to set in the place of that wedding that usually was reserved for the mother of the girl. <clears throat> of course, Mrs. Thompson did. And guess what? <laughs> she wore that bracelet, the one with several rhinestones missing, and she made sure she, had wearing, she was wearing the perfume that Teddy remembered his mother wearing on their last Christmas together. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Mrs. Thompson's ears, Thank you, Mrs. Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. Mrs. Thompson, with tears in her eyes, whispered back, and she said, Teddy, you have, you have all, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me. I could make differences. I didn't know how to teach until I met you. Warm someone's heart today and learn that we are in the business of helping someone else. That Teddy Stoddard went on to throw those accolades in the, in the schools and such because a teacher believed in him. Do we believe in each other? Usually when all is said and done, there is more said than done. We have just become through a time of intensive contact with many needy people. And now as we come into a new year, what will we do with our good intentions? Will we go out and help those that really need us? Will we reach out and touch them and be able to draw them into a fellowship of, of our church, a fellowship of one another? I pray that we can. <clears throat> I pray that, that the story of the Good Samaritan does work in to our lives and to our hearts as we look into a new year and we say, the best has yet to be seen. We're going to do better. Will you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to ask you to sing that chorus with me. Slowly. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Can we do that together? 
and mean it in our hearts and our lives. It goes with you joining me. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first and yourself last, others in between. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Do you take that stand that you want Jesus to be in your life so you can share it with others? I'm going to invite you if there are those that want to come and kneel here at the altar and make a commitment today that, yeah, what's mine is yours and I'll give it away. Just in the quietness of our chapel, we're going to sing that chorus one more time and perhaps there are those who will want to come and kneel. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, that must surely mean Jesus first and yourself last and others in between. This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint, at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.